0: star studios in denison texas this is coffee with a sign painter a weekly podcast hosted by sign painter sean star that consists of interviews with other sign painters and some of the customers and characters sean comes across while running his studio
1: hey welcome back to coffee with a sign painter uh, today I have a very special guest, a special treat. We'll be speaking with uh, Roderick Treese. He's a, um, uh, an incredible gold leaf on glass artist, uh, sign painter. He's got a long history in the trade. Um, and on top of all of that, he's, um, as far as a uh, craftsman go, I've, I've probably got uh, uh, more respect for him. Um, for his uh, craftsmanship and ability than just about anybody doing that type of work. Uh, Really a a truly uh, gifted craftsman. And uh, we're going to talk and um, dig into some of his uh, history, his dad's history, which is very interesting. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's it's a good interview. So let's talk to Roderick Treese.
2: Mexico for two weeks, and yeah, I saw, I saw the pictures. I coveted yeah. the pictures, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was good and nice to be home and uh, all that great stuff. So, yeah, just cruising. Cool. So, what have you been up to? Um, are we doing this now, or are we? Are we uh...
1: I, I'm not even gonna tell you. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because um, uh, I, I just want to chill out and, and talk like okay. we were talking okay. on the phone. So,
2: check, check that out.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a James uh, Thomas original, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool, huh? Yeah, he's very good, cool. He, he's a good kid.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I like him a lot.
2: Yeah, so what have I been up to? So, you know, I'm kind of semi-retired now, so I'm, not, I'm working part-time, mm-hmm. and I've been getting into brilliant carving. Okay. If you know, you know what that is. Yeah, it's
1: the Dave Smith yeah. on the wheel thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's all stone, stone, and and uh, diamond wheels cutting. Did on you glass did you find th- old
1: equipment to do that, or did you modify new stuff? How'd you how you come across that?
2: I uh, let's see if you can see it. That that thing. Uh uh-huh. that, th- that thing right here. Okay. Is the lathe you can actually. Uh...
1: Okay. See very it cool. Better. Yeah, Yeah, the the listeners aren't going to be able to see any of that though.
2: Uh,
1: (laughs) Hey, Roderick.
2: So that's the (laughs) lathe, and uh, my flip flop back on here. That's the lathe, and then these are the wheels. That's a stone wheel.
1: Okay. Okay
2: like that and then this is the arbor that's what fits on the that's what fits on the end of the machine
1: okay yeah the, lis- the listeners won't be able to see any of this but no no uh, no but I know. Uh, so so did you put that together is that like a combination of old
2: stuff and new stuff it looks like almost yeah the the lathe i bought from a friend of mine up in santa cruz his name is rich samsel he's uh one of the best uh in my mind he's one of the best brilliant carvers in the world
3: oh
1: wow Okay. There's
2: a there's three there's three or four people that I know, that I know of. He's the guy I know personally besides Dave Smith. Okay. And uh, I've been a friend of his for years, and and I've been really admired all of his work. So, um, when I finally decided to get into it, I he had a lay He had this lathe for sale, which I put off buying for years because I, the problem with that craft is. Finding people that will Appreciate it, and we'll spend the money to to do it. So I didn't want to get into anything that didn't have something to do with make making money.
1: Yeah, it's enormously time consuming,
2: right? <clears throat> oh, oh, it, it, it. Imagine having to paint a sign like ten times.
1: Ah, uh, okay. It's
2: it's so laborious and it's so tedious and it's it it's very nerve wracking, uh, especially in the beginning stages. That it's takes every. Bit of concentration that you have, and um, it's, very, uh, te- it's very technical, Okay. and so I had decided a long time ago, Rick Glosson actually had a, uh, a machine that when he passed away, I bought that machine on eBay for really very little money, mm-hmm. and uh, it was an antique machine he had restored, and so I uh, bought that on eBay. For fifteen hundred dollars in the middle of the night, and went to bed and couldn't go to sleep because I didn't have the money. I was broke at the time, didn't have anywhere to do it.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Put put the machine, and I also um, didn't have any work to do. Nobody was nobody was paying me to do it. So I called the, his uh, brother back the next day and said, any money that I owed you for the the uh, for the uh, eBay uh, sale, I'll happy to pay you back for that. And so I, I, that was years ago, and I, and I re- always regretted not getting it, so I finally made the decision this year to get into it, not worry about the money. Right. And um, so I'm working on a couple new pieces. Okay. That, that, that I, I did a few pieces that were just decorative on clear glass, and I'm working on two pieces right now that have signage, they have uh, gold leaf, they have acid etching, they have brilliant carving, all the techniques that I know how to do, plus adding the brilliant carving to it. And uh, I've been working on those for a month or so now, maybe a month and a half, and, and so now that I'm back from vacation, I got them started again, and I should have them done in a, uh, you know another week or two.
1: Okay, how many and, hours do you estimate like doing like what you just described for like a medium-sized piece? How many hours do you think it takes start to finish?
2: Well, the pieces I, the, the, the two pieces I have right now are uh, about 20 inches by 20 inches. They're the, they're these two, uh-huh. these, these two pieces. Yeah, right? I
1: think I saw, I think you posted yeah. this on Instagram.
2: Yeah, they're, they're a decorative tees of, a, desi- of a, a font or a type style that I found in a really incredible old book that I got from my dad. And so it's a decorative tee with all the different cuts around it and just the cutting alone, between the cutting and the polishing, that with the two pieces, so it's hard to know, you know, if you break it in half. Right. But just the two pieces alone with just the cutting was probably about 60 hours. Wow. Yeah, it's just, if you look at what, it, the, I guess the amazing thing about that learning process and I'm so, you know, I've still got so far to go is if you look at the pieces by Rich Samsel or Andreas Lehman who is the other cutter or Dave Smith who we're all very familiar with, you just it's mind boggling. The amount of work and time that it took to do those is overwhelming. Just absolutely overwhelming. And uh, So in my little infantile stage of learning how to do this it, you're just going I'm, I'm blown away how much work it takes yeah and, uh, and the designs that i've created are simple to be able to achieve those cuts that i've that i've done so so that's what i've been getting into lately um hand, doing some hand painted signage for local clients and
1: yeah, I noticed that too. You you had gone through quite a few years of of just concentrating on gold on glass, right?
2: Well, I I think that I'm I'm not unlike I'm the same as I've always been. Whatever comes through the door, if, if I do. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Now, what I try to do, you know, I'll, I'll hand paint signs. I'll cut out uh, you know MDO plywood and and paint that. I'll do all kinds of different things that I think what I've done now is decided to take things that I really wanna do. Yeah. So if I have so I have a project that I don't really wanna do, it's not interesting to me, there's so many people I know uh, all over the world that can do anything that if I don't want it, I can give it to somebody that, that deserves it, that wants it, that can do a really great job. So those, those people are always, um, I always take care of those people. You know, they always get what they're looking for, which is an important part of, in my mind, an important part of being in business is satisfying the customers whether I do the job or not. Yeah. You know, you send them, either I do it or I send them on their way and know that I've given it to the right person and they'll, they'll handle it and those people will be happy. So for me, I've, uh, I've narrowed it down to doing work on glass, Using gold leaf, different techniques, but I'm not opposed to doing a. a I'll go out and do a wall job, you know. Uh, I've got the I've got the big oval sign in here right now. That's uh, where's oh I actually sorry I've got it laying outside so I can't show it to you. Um, it's a four by ten MDO double sided uh, plywood sign.
3: Okay. You know
2: it's all hand painted with acrylics and and it was really fun you know it got i i got to put pull the brushes out and had a great time and so i'm not opposed to any of that stuff it's just that uh, you know that's my passion is to do just glass yeah and, but you don't know, you know i i uh, i only get about 80 no i only get about 10 or 20% of the jobs that i bid that mm-hmm. are gla- that are glass through my website Uh, because most of the people, they, they aren't willing to pay
1: or no idea what it costs probably. Right.
2: Yeah. They, you know, and, and, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, I get, I get, uh, I have a stack on my desk in an envelope of hundreds of requests every year for, for people that want something that they have no idea what it's worth
3: Mm -hmm.
2: to me, what it's worth. And, um, and I'm okay with that because that's part of business. Not everyone knows what things are worth. I appreciate that they like what, I, that I, what they see on my website or what, what they know I do, but they can't afford it. Yeah. And so I, I have those contacts, I send those, those, those clients to people that um, can do it for less money. And I just have narrowed it down to uh, a certain amount that I wanna get per project. Mm-hmm and um, projects that I want to do. And that works out, it works out great for me. I make exactly the same amount of money as I've always made or more, and I don't work. I only work part-time now. So,
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's kind of where I'm trying to get to, and I, I've been really fortunate in the last year especially where I can kind of just pick and choose what I want to work on. And then hand off the rest to like, you know, Cole, who I trained down in Denton and that, that kind of stuff is just, you know, uh, it, it gets nerve wracking sometimes because, you know, you're like, well, I keep passing on this other stuff. Am I going to pay the rent? But right I'd, right, I'd still rather spend my time pushing my uh, creative limits
3: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, working on stuff that I really enjoy at this point and. We're right. doing this kind of work than just taking in everything and being exhausted and
3: right, paying right. more
1: taxes and all that crap.
3: Right,
2: right. And, and I think that's a function of, uh, my, my I have always believed that your ability to do what you want and have all the time to do anything you want to do is a function of overhead and what, light, what it costs you to be alive every day. So if you can keep that down to as little as low as possible, then you have that. Then you have freedom. Yeah. And, and to me, I I'm at the, I'm in the position now where I don't have overhead. Your studio's and, at home, right? Yeah, my studio's at home. My pop- property's paid off. I have uh, a few income uh, rentals on the property. Mm-hmm. So I so I have if I don't make, well, I, you know, I don't have any new projects coming in right now, which means. Uh, I probably will not have any new jobs for at least a month,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which I can afford to do that. Um, and it, it's only because over the years I've worked at it to try to get the overhead as low as possible. And then I have the freedom to do, if something comes in today and I say, well, that's not really um, the uh, what I need financially to make that work for me or it's not creative enough I can I can pass on it and, and it isn't going to hurt me, right. and it gives gives me a lot of freedom, and and then I can pursue you know the new uh, things that I'm trying to learn how to do, with the confidence of not like worrying about uh, that I have to you know pay a mortgage or pay a rent, and that's I think to me that's overwhelmingly um, free, to be able to do that. Now I also uh, in the other. On the other end, I admire people that can have a big company and can build up these amazing things and have all these employees and and delegate uh, amazing projects to you know all their staff. I admire those people.
1: Yeah, I I respect it a lot. I'm just not yeah. capable of it. Yeah. I, well, I I don't I have get it. that kind of yeah. I, I don't see things that way, and I and I yeah. don't have that ability to keep things organized in that way. Right. Right. So right. yeah.
2: I, I saw. I did it for a while, uh, years ago I had a huge project for Knott's Berry Farm, and I ended up hiring about five people mm-hmm. to help me do the job. What I ended up becoming was a facilitator, and I, at the end of it, or actually during, during it, I realized that isn't what I want to do, and, right. I, and, I, and I said, you know what, when this is done, I, I, I could take big jobs like that again, but I'm not going to be a big company guy. Because that's not. I want to be able to do the jobs myself, and one or two jobs at a time is what I. That's what I like, and uh, that way you can pay attention to them, and you don't have to, you know, race around going crazy and. Yeah. And you end up not making unless you're really good at big business. You don't end up making any more money. No. Same amount of money. So you know, it's it's all worked out great. I'm I'm happy with where I'm at. Um, I've also got a. I thought about, I was looking at a picture on my screen of a peacock. I've got a German guy that I made friends with on Facebook that was a friend of uh, Dave Smith's. Mm-hmm. And I have been working on this peacock design, like an old, it's gonna be an old ad for a glass sign for, I, I haven't come up with the, the name of the company yet, Peacock Whiskey or something, I don't know what. So this German guy is working on the design of the peacock then we're going to put it together with lettering and text and and you know like a, a art nouveau background and very cool so ho- hopefully and then that will also include uh cutting and and carving and acid etching and all the different techniques so hopefully later this year next few months uh, i'll be putting that piece together and that's kind of exciting very cool.
1: so yeah. yeah So so, so lo- Tell everybody about your history. You've got kind of a, a cool legacy with uh, what your dad did and all that. Um, your, your dad, at one point, for any hot rod fans out there, worked with Big Daddy Roth, right?
2: Well, actually, it was the other way around. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I so mean, tell I,
1: tell the story because it's really interesting.
2: Uh, okay. So uh, that part of the story is that when Big Daddy was ever, you know, anybody my age, a little older and actually a lot of the new kids know who big daddy ed roth was um he was huge when i was young he was uh you know the hot big hot rod custom hot rod guy Uh, him and george barris were the two big names i knew of um everybody that i knew built uh big daddy models from through Revell. uh he was a huge t-shirt guy so we already knew who he was and then um when he got divorced, I think, if I remember the story correctly, um, he came to work, and he lived right down the street from Knott's Berry Farm, so when he came to work, got a job working at Knott's Berry Farm for my dad, and my dad and Ed did not really, they, I, I, I wasn't never quite sure what the deal was, they didn't really like each other, they just didn't see eye to eye, so uh, my dad gave Ed his own little room mm-hmm. off. off It was a it was like a little shed off the side of the the sign shop. Ed had his own little room. That and he your
1: your do- dad managed the the sign shop at Knott Bar- Knott's Berry Farm. Is that right?
2: Yeah, he was the head of the sign shop at Knott's Berry Farm for about 35, 40 years. Okay. And so he Ed had this little this little studio of his own. He'd do all of his own work there. And then when I uh, would come out um, to hang out and you know take materials or use the facility or whatever I was going to do, I would I made friends with Ed. He was a really great guy, and I would sit in his little shop and we'd hang out and talk and and um, you know shoot the shoot the breeze and and um, get to know each other. And he was a great guy. I mean, at that point to be around a guy that was so humbled you know so famous but so humbled, and he was so happy just to be hanging out and painting signs and and the guy was amazing sign painter yeah. was I he mean, oh yeah no he was he was really good um i've never seen anybody that could eat a sandwich and letter a sign at the same time hmm. i mean he just was he was a great craftsman so that was really a pleasure to meet him and
1: uh, now your 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 dad through Knottsbury if, if I okay, if I'm remembering this wrong, correct me. But um, you and I drove out to that Calico ghost town, right. Years ago, and yeah. uh, we were looking at redoing a bunch of signage there. And your dad had done a signage there as well. Is that
2: right? Yeah, I had I had actually uh, I have a picture of him on a billboard on, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, I-15 or something, going out to Barstow. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's on that billboard, in, painting uh, the billboard for Knott's Berry Farm, Calico Ghost Town, uh, restored by Knott's Berry Farm. It, and the date on the photo is like 1956, so it's a year before I was born. Mm. And that's my connection to um, Calico Ghost Town. Okay. And they had contacted me because the, the uh, state wanted it, them to tear that billboard down. So they needed, they needed documented proof that that billboard had been up since a certain time. So I gave them the photograph. And then that's when I made that connection and tried to get uh, the sign work out there, uh-huh. uh, which never materialized because they, they didn't want to spend any money yeah. on, on yeah, I, signage. I,
1: yeah, I think they, they had said that the whole park's system in california at that point there was like zero money for anything
2: right right so and then unless, unless we wanted to have a giant letterhead meet out there and give them science for free that you know nothing was going to happen with that so um i may i may wait till i'm 80 <laughs> and i want and i want to hang out in my in my my beat up old motorhome out in the desert and just paint stuff for free for them i don't know i'm, I'm saving that one for uh,
1: right uh, reti- for, for the exit plan
2: <laughs> yeah yeah the, yeah the retirement the retirement community when i can't surf anymore because i love the desert yeah but i but i i i don't i don't do anything for free and i uh and i don't spend uh enough time out there to to schmooze them and get um get that gig so yeah yeah so but do you do, yeah. you do you yeah. surf on a regular basis I look at it every, I look at it every day, um, where we live in Southern California and San Diego, to be exact. It's not great a lot, but it's just, it's just okay. So you have to, as a surfer, and I think most people don't understand this, is as a surfer, you have to that's your focus every day. And you look at it every day. You kind of plan your whole life around um, what the surf, the tide, the wind, all those um, elements are doing, and then you kind of then you kind of know what your day is. So I don't really even start my day until in the shop till 11. Um, like today, I knew yesterday I checked, I checked with uh, my wife, and I checked the internet. I said, "Well, it's not going to be very good in the morning, so I can make my appointment with Sean at eight and, and we'll do our thing and it's now, good with, surfing today <laughs> no you know it's terrible okay it's really yeah it's really bad if it was really good i would have said well some other let, time let, chump yeah well let me call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me call you later when i get back in or or you know again i i will uh typically tell people uh, you know i started 11 that gives me all morning to figure that out and uh in a rare case that it might be good all day, then I just won't make. I won't, won't make any plans. And uh, there's actually a really good movie, surf movie. It's called Surfing for Life,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I actually call it the Geriatric Surfing Movie. It's about these stories of these five or six older surfers that are fam- in my in my world. They're famous, and it's about how they've been surfing their whole life, and they're older now, and how they have to deal with it. And the one guy's story was interesting because the wife's like, yeah, I can't tell you how many weddings we've missed and family events because the surf is good. And uh-huh. I, that's, that's the most important thing. So that's been something I've done that uh, my whole life. My grandfather was, a, was the first, one of the, one of the very first surfers in California um, and uh, one of the first surfboard shapers in California. And so I learned from him <clears throat> and it's just something I've always done
1: have you have you seen that documentary happy no I haven't that you should check that out there's a there's a segment in there they they travel around the world and and are interviewing people uh, who are known to be happy in their community oh, okay. and there's oh, cool. a there's a guy in there he's he's an older guy now um, who's a surfing fanatic and and um, yeah, it's pretty cool I mean you, it, the guy's in amazing shape I don't, I don't remember how old he is but he's probably like 70 or something but I mean his body's like ripped it's amazing
2: yeah yeah well they they're surfers are like anybody they can come in every shape and form and condition uh, there's some guys that are pretty amazing there's some guys that are pretty pretty embarrassing to look <laughs> at but you know you just all I would I kind of liken it probably to fishing you know you just how people so? yeah people that well people that fish just they just love it, you know they don't care about really it's not about catching the fish, it's about being out there right and and being in nature and and you know li- being by the water and watching the water go by and all that it's like that you know okay and and so and then when you catch a fish, you know it, it's so much the better so yeah that
1: that's that's kind of my um my take on motorcycling, you know? I don't really right. yeah, give a thing. hoot about who's got what motorcycle or whatever. It's just about that right. experience of being out there and right. the, the, yeah. you can feel every shift in temperature going in ho- high and low spots in the road. You can smell everything.
3: It, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. And I remember that. I used to have a motorcycle and I remember my, my most amazing memory is being at a signal in the middle of the in the middle of the road waiting to turn left Mm -hmm. and looking looking it down at seeing all the stuff on the road that had been run over and (laughs) thinking you know you don't get that view there's no other Mm -hmm. way to get that view other than a bicycle so yeah there's yeah so i could motorcycle riding would be the same thing okay cool yeah yeah so um but back to the knott's berry farm thing yeah uh because we didn't quite finish that uh, my dad had started there as, uh, he got out of the military, the marines, and then had a GI Bill and went to school for art a little bit, and then got, my grandmother actually worked there in the Silver Dollar Saloon. And she got him a job in the steakhouse as a busboy. So he started as a busboy, once there was an opening in the sign shop, he got a job in the sign shop, worked his way up to the head of the sign shop, and then, um, his manager that he worked for in the steakhouse wanted to change jobs, so uh, his name was Norm. Norm became my father's assistant at, in the sign shop. And so, so
1: how many guys were working in there at any given time? How big was it?
2: Uh, it was really small. It was probably, well it was two, when I first started uh, going out there with my dad, it was two converted garages, like like two car garages. Okay. It's you know uh, eight foot ceiling, not nothing fancy at all. Uh-huh. And there probably was uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five five guys. Okay. Never any women, by the way. Uh, and um, then they built a. They tore all that down. They built uh, a new building that was probably two thousand square feet. Mm. and about they had maybe 5 people
1: so the, so their job then was um if obviously if like a new attraction went in they would make the signage but the rest of the no. time was maintaining everything
2: or no no they they typically did not get to do the new signage really they would hire yeah well they did a they did a little bit of it but for some reason that was always farmed out to other other uh, contractors, and I ended up uh, later on. I ended up being one of those contractors, and we had a little thing going, where there was about there was like four of us that would share those jobs uh-huh. and th- through my dad. Like a cartel. We had a little yeah a little <laughs> not strawberry farm sign cartel thing going, and uh, we would um, he go okay the the new ride's going to open and we need this and that and so we're gonna have all four of you guys bid it and then depending on who wasn't busy they we would we would price that guy the lowest and then they would would get an arrangement it was it was uh pretty cool for quite a long time and uh so we got to spend a lot of time at the farm we got and uh, having my own sign company i got to use all the facilities um any of the materials that i wanted um and my dad was notorious for bringing materials home and tools home and things so we had you know unlimited access to everything
1: so what were they doing what were five people doing every day
2: oh uh well they would they would be doing maintenance they would be doing new menus they'd be doing show cards they had a guy in one room one side room that and he was this cool older guy suit and tie all he did was show cards all day long in a suit and tie in a suit and tie and he had you walk in, and this room had a red uh, plush carpet, and it was a little dark. And it had all the walls were covered with uh, Playboy centerfolds that had been taken out of the magazines and um, matted in in custom uh, mats. Wow. All the, that was my first. That was one of the first uh, impressions I got when I was a little kid of of uh, women. That and, that was probably somewhat damaging. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it took me a lot, <laughs> took me decades to figure out that uh, people aren't that perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so it was something to kind of get over. But uh, uh, yeah, so he was there for about 35, 40 years, and then um, they had a policy of basically firing people when um, they wanted to get rid of you. They didn't, there wasn't like a retirement program.
1: You were just gone.
2: And, and the, the joke was, the standing joke was that you had all your stuff packed in boxes, whatever you wanted to take, you made sure it was all packed and ready to go for when that day happened, oh, because wow. they would just say, "Okay, come on, you're gone." So he uh, he was escorted off, and he probably spent four or five, six years just kind of uh, in a kind of a funk and depression, and then he got an old client that we used to do uh, restaurants with all over the country, um, approached him with a with a, a project to do the, all these hand-painted signs for, it's called King's Fish House. And so they ramped back up and, and uh, he worked, he was hand-painting signs till the day he died. It, wow. just, you know, yeah, it was pretty impressive. So And, and I've, I've gotten to repaint a lot of those signs that they've painted and, and uh, it's pretty cool. What's the
1: situation now at Knott's Berry? What is? Are they just doing vinyl? Do they have paint guys there now, or what's going on?
2: I think they have uh, three paint three people on staff that paint two or three. Uh, one of the people that I met, I actually met, ran into a lady that is working at, um, at in the sign shop, knottsbury Farm now um, at the sign painter movie. Up in uh, LA Trade Tech with Doc, mm-hmm. and and she approached me and reminded me who she was, and so she works there, and it was funny because she said uh, she my dad told her when she would go apply for a job that she would he would never hire women, really. So now she's working there. So I think they have two or three people, and they do. I'm sure they do hand painting. Um, I'm sure a big part of it is vinyl, mm-hmm. but but I don't know. I don't have access. I used to be able to just go and walk on the lot and go to the sign shop anytime I wanted um, but I don't have access. Now you got to buy a ticket <laughs> Well I, I, could, I could buy a ticket I don't think I could get back to the sign shop Oh anymore. yeah
1: the maintenance stuff's probably separate huh
2: Yeah without permission or, or so yeah I don't I don't have any access to that anymore so you, you, you
1: mentioned the the sign painter movie um, you came up to our studio when we were in Big Bear and we were able to all participate in that um, between the, the movie and the book. Has that done anything good for you, as far as your business goes? Um, I mean, it's obviously a very cool thing to be a part of, but yeah. um, has that helped you in any way, or hindered you in any way, or created any frustration? Or
2: oh. well, first I got to tell you thanks for that because without you, that that wouldn't happen. So that's that's, I always am in, I'm indebted to you for that. Um, I would say it hasn't. It has not. There hasn't been any. There hasn't been any negative effect whatsoever it, it with that the book and the and the um the book and the uh the movie um and you know I've seen it like too many times now I don't think I'll ever want to watch it again. Uh-huh. <laughs> um and those guys did an amazing job on it. I just can't, you know, thank them enough. Um I think that it has made it possible for uh, a bigger audience to appreciate signs yeah signs and sign painting in general it uh it, it didn't you know it was their movie so i can't i i, I i'm sympathetic to a lot of the crit- the the negative critiques of the movie being that it didn't really tell the story very many stories of sign painters mm-hmm. but it was their movie, and and uh, they told the story that they they knew what they were. They knew uh, they just followed the story, and they did a good job with the story they told. and, I'm, yeah, and, and I'm I happy and I with that,
1: and I, I think it was very much a a social commentary, you know, more than uh, the history of kind of yeah. thing, and I think that's that's. The, they, I, from talking to to Sam and Faith, I I don't think they really knew where the story would go, but right. uh, but when they saw it develop, I think they they latched right. onto that.
2: Right, right. And and I think there's I think there's room for other other documentaries about sign painting. I mean, you mm-hmm. it, it, it opens that up. Yeah. And so and, and anybody that uh, you know wants to can do that. And I and I would uh, you know I would. Uh, Say go for it, and I—I I don't think there's anything. There hasn't been anything bad about it. There has been uh, a lot more people, you know, getting a hold of me, saying, "Oh, I saw the book, and the books at the museum. This—I mu- was at the museum, and I saw this book, and you're in it, and, and I get to tell all my friends, you know, mm-hmm. that I know you, and so it's been good. I haven't seen any. Uh, I don't think it's helped my business. Not all. No, not really, I don't, I don't really think it's, it's done that. Um, it may have helped a few workshops, people contacting me for workshops, which, um, you know, it's nice. I, I don't do that on a very, uh, I don't do it on a regular basis. That's one of but, my
1: biggest regrets is when I was in Southern California that I didn't take you up on doing a workshop down there at your place.
2: Well, you're not. Yeah, we're still. Uh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm not yeah. dead yet. Yeah. I need, dead yet. I need.
1: to get my butt out there and do it.
2: Yeah. Well, come on. Uh, come on Tuesday or Wednesday. I have some. I have some girl from back east coming down just to hang out, and and uh, she's a gilder. Yeah. From back east, so we're gonna hang out, and John Arnott might invite John Arnott over, and but um, yeah, I don't think I think it's been a good thing um, to. to For the movie, Um, but it's been a strange adventure because there's um, like I went to I was invited by somebody can't remember who to do the 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 what's that the Q and A at the end in uh, in um, San Diego they they showed it so I did a Q. I did a Q&A down there, and that was really cool, and, and I'm not a great public speaker, so it was kind of fun. And then um, through uh, Colt Bowden, mm-hmm. I was invited to a uh, sign painter art show, which is that's always kind of a, a, an oxymoron to me. Um, Why in, so? Well, I never considered art, I never considered signage art. Yeah. I personally think they're two separate things. And so uh he invited me to a art show, art sign art show in Santa Ana, so I went to the art show and was in that. It was really it was it was fun. And um Is that my the one good, at Marcus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I had a I had a small piece in on that one too.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember that it was nice. And so I did that show, I was with Pat Smith, Patrick Smith, who's a friend of mine. And um we had a great time and then Not long after that, I don't know, it's been about a month ago or so, I see that the Sign Painter movie is showing at this very prestigious museum in in Orange County. Okay. It used to be called the Newport Harbor Museum, and I can't remember what it's called now. Orange County Museum of Art. Sign Painter movie is, is showing there, and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's really cool. And then it says, oh, Patrick Smith is doing a demo. Hmm. And I'm going, well, that's the trip. You know, I didn't hear anything about it. And, and so I called Patrick, and he said, uh, yeah, I got invited. The guy, uh, Marcus, gallery guy, invited me to ask me if I could do the demo. And I, and I go, well, that's really cool. So then I emailed, um, and I can't remember that guy's name, the Marcus gallery guy.
1: Yeah, I don't remember I, either.
2: Yeah, I emailed him, and I said, hey, you know, I would, I would be honored if I, you want me to come up and uh, do a and A, cue and answer at the end, uh, do a demo for you, whatever you want, and um, got kind of blown off by it. Hmm. And that to me, I was, I was a little uh, insulted by that um, because I felt like, you know, I'm one of the guys in the movie, it would be nice to have somebody in the movie there to support the movie, and I've also had a year, 25 30 years ago i had an art show there which i was um you know a real honor to be in that art show Mm -hmm. so it would have been almost like coming back home right yeah to be back in the museum and so it, it was disappointing but you know at this point in life you just disappointments like you just whatever and
1: you know, yeah, you can't dwell on that stuff. It'll eat you. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's no big deal, and and uh, so, um, but I think the overall, the movie and the book's been a great. It's been great for side painting and and all the young kids that are excited about it and getting into it. So, you know, that's a it's a cool deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's done nothing but good. Yeah. Um, you know, I I get some frustrations, but it's mostly uh, with social media. Mm-hmm. Um, just. Cause it's a, just a constant beast that yeah, requires sure. constant feeding. Sure. But, um, I, you know, the, the movie has just been, a right. I, I think it, it, it was a really good thing, uh, for a lot of us that were in it. I, I think it kind of endorsed years of putting up with crap and struggling and, and all of that too, you know, kind of yeah. like endorsement like, well, we weren't completely nuts.
2: Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Cause,
1: absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, we, we all took a bashing, you know, with the computer thing and took a lot of abuse because of it.
2: Huh, I don't feel that. I, I, I don't feel that.
1: No, I you never did, huh?
2: No, I never did because uh, there were so many people. The, the cool thing for me that I realized quickly, my dad had a computer, at uh, a vinyl cutter at, at Knott's. I could have used it anytime I wanted. Um, I never u- I never learned how to use it. There were so many people that got into it that you didn't need to spend any money on it. Uh-huh. You could you could go over and go, hey, this is what I need, and they'd make it for you cheaper than you could possibly uh, paint it or yeah. Uh, and I remember my first experience was I had a Marie Callender's restaurant chain. It was a big national chain at one time. And I used to do all the they have uh, they make you know thirty different pies mm-hmm. and they have menu boards, and all the menu boards had to have you know the names written on the on the strip with the price and they were at, at one time I think originally they were screen printed on and then so i don't, I can't remember how they uh changed the prices, but when I got a hold of the account, we uh started doing. Uh, vinyl came in and I would give this guy a type no what was it he had a the first machine that would cut vinyl was a heat die cut machine have you ever seen one before I don't think so oh my god it was amazing so this guy in this guy in uh, Marin up in Northern California invented this this machine that was a it had it used uh, die cut Plates, just like you know, regular. Stamp the letters, basically. You would, yeah. It would heat up this die that had it had all the like, A B C D, on it, and it would heat it up, and then you would roll the vinyl in it. You press it down, and it would cut the vinyl through it through this die cut process. Huh. Then you had to individually take each letter, and pull it off of that. It was almost like kind of press type. Oh, kind
1: of like uh, the Home Depot. Little yeah. peel off, put your address yeah, yeah, on your yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, so you'd have to take off these one-inch letters and lay, lay them all on a line, and then you would transfer those onto transfer paper, and then you would do it. So that was the first experience. And he, he would make up those little strips for me that I could apply onto the strips. And then he said, I'm getting into these new computers, these new things. It's going to be amazing. And I kind of freaked out and went, oh, well, what are you gonna do with the die cutter? He goes, well, I can sell it to you. So he sold me the machine with all the, and they had these trays and trays of all the fonts, different styles that you had. Um, bought it all for about 750 bucks. And my girlfriend and I at the time had to lay out the first couple menu boards ourselves, which was an amazingly tedious process. Like type I,
1: setting for letterpress almost, huh?
2: Oh my God, it was so tedious. And after about two or three of those, I called him up. I said, hey, how's your computer thing going? He goes, oh, it's going great. I go, here's my list. You do it. And I never, I I think I gave the the vinyl uh, transfer machine, heat transfer machine away. And he kept doing all that stuff for me for less than I could do it uh, myself. And then the uh, the next part of that project, we started doing reverse glass signs. That were uh, dark green backgrounds with gold lettering uh, inlaid into it, and there were so many of them that I knew it had it couldn't all be done by hand. So, went over to this guy and I said, "This is the project I have." And he goes, "Well, we can cut those out in vinyl, and you can use them as masks to, for your painting." And at the time, they only had a Gerber only had a few. Uh, I, you know, I I never use a machine, so I don't know how many fonts they had, but let's imagine they had 10 in the machine. Well, Gallia, uh, which is kind of an Art Deco font, they didn't have that, so this guy had to hand digitize the whole font for me, then he could start producing all the lettering for me, so I would get these uh, sheets of uh, this Gallia lettering laid out like pies and and hot apple pies and Marie calendars and all the lettering, uh, like about 12 inches tall, on the sheets of uh, masked vinyl and it was so cheap that there's no way you could do
1: it right by by hand yeah
2: your hand and you would have to spend thousands of dollars on a machine so i never i never had that that downside to um to uh the vinyl industry like a lot of sign painters did and granted you did there were a lot of jobs you didn't get anymore because vinyl but a lot of jobs I didn't want anyway. Like, I always considered lettering a sign on glass to be one of the most tedious things you could possibly do. Because uh-huh. you'd you you'd be inside, you'd get your pattern up, you'd start painting this thing, you'd get two or three coats of yellow on, or two or three coats of red, and invariably the owner would come up and go, wow, that really looks kind of crappy on the inside. Uh-huh. And I'm going, you know, it looks great on the outside, That's." And, and so you didn't have that with vinyl, um, and so some of those things I didn't you didn't have to do anymore.
1: Yeah, and I've always said it that it's it's had it's it's has its place, you know. It,
2: it definitely it it has its place. It still has its place.
1: I you know uh, I think my 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 gripe with the transition um, was just how quickly. Uh, sign painting got marginalized at least where I was I mean in in California it seems like there's always been an appreciation for you know handcrafted work um, from talking to the most of you guys that have been out there a long time but in other parts of the country you like you know at the time I was in Texas um, it was immediate it's as soon as the the vinyl systems came out I mean you you couldn't dig up paint work, you know, if your life depended on it, it was almost mm-hmm. overnight. It was just like, bam, oh, right. that's old and crummy. We don't want that. That's, you know, that's unpredictable. We don't know what you might come up with. We just want mm-hmm. these Helvetica block letters. And it was sure. just that shift was immediate.
2: Right. Oh, no, I think, I think I think the same thing happened, you know, everywhere. And it was, it was, I think the Thing that a lot of people haven't talked about with that is, is the fact that it was the that it was a business opportunity for anyone that wanted to work for themselves, that knew compute had a feel for computers, and wanted to fabricate something. So, mom and pop, anybody, anybody in that context could have a business and be doing good and that and and I can't blame those people for it. I you know it's no, not, I
1: understand the appeal yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it,
2: yeah it's no different than um the amazing story about why most of the donut shops in Southern California are owned by um, Koreans, I think it's one guy that came and started it uh-huh. and then and then they could make a great living, so I understand that the downside was is that it it opened it up to i think the biggest downside in my mind was that it opened it up to people that had no background in design and had no creativity. Right. And so uh, that was the bigger problem. was Yeah, wasn't the,
1: you had people with an accountant mentality yes. starting to put together the visuals. And yeah, it, it's it, like, exactly, you know, exactly. it just yeah. wasn't the right yeah. fit.
2: It wasn't the right fit and and a lot of the people that wanted a sign they didn't have that experience either. They always left that up to the sign painter to be mm-hmm. to be the be the designer and show him what was going to look good. And I got to tell you even back before the vinyl was invented and the computer to cut the vinyl was invented because I don't think a lot of people don't understand those two things happened years apart. Yeah. Vinyl, vinyl had already been invented probably 30 years before the computer was invented to uh-huh. cut the vinyl but uh one thing i realized is there's always been crappy signs yeah you know i mean it doesn't matter how early on people have always painted crappy signs and some people have painted good signs so well did... that that that
1: always makes me cringe when i see <laughs> yeah. some, you yeah. know some of the new people jumping on board and they're they're copying a style from some old photo or something and it's like but that was bad back then yeah <laughs> that oh, just yeah. wasn't executed right
2: yeah yeah and and we i see that that's that's always been common it will always be common there's always people that uh i don't care, in any trade that shouldn't be doing what they do but they but they find a way to get paid to do it or yeah. they love it so that's, that, yeah yeah and we have a there's a kind of an interesting thing that just happened in the city up from us, Carlsbad, California, um, they just put up one of those um, those big marquee signs that go across the, o- over the street okay you know it says Carlsbad, California, or no it just says Carlsbad it's you know it's the classic um, you know the the big letters o- that span the, over the street when you come into town, and the layout on it is absolutely horrible it's, it's one of the worst layouts I've ever seen uh-huh and I cringe every time I drive by it. And uh, I found out the other day that the image that they used to recreate the sign was from an original sign that was there, but that original sign was, had a real, the same exact horrible layout uh-huh. from, from, who knows, what, 50, 60 years
1: ago. So they're repeating the problem.
2: Repeating the problem, and, and I, that's always gonna be the issue with anything. Is that you're going to see people that are doing things that have really great intentions, and you got to you know I have to admire some of these people that are getting into sign painting now, sign making, let's say, that they have all the best intentions, and uh, but the but you know their designs are bad and the layouts are bad and their their technical ability is is bad, and so that's that's the downside. But that's always going to be the case. Yeah. And uh, I'm not. I'm guilty. I look at some of my early stuff and go, "Man, I thought that was that looked pretty weak." But uh, I try. Maybe I don't do the greatest job still, but I I try to do the best job I can. Uh,
1: you're you're being humble. Yeah. You, well, my, you, are, you are the most precise.
2: Well, uh, my, thing, my thing is, I don't,
1: person I've ever observed working.
2: Yeah. Well, my thing isn't. I don't. I'm not a great designer, so I I am. Uh, I consider myself a facilitator. That my specialty is taking your logo, your artwork, and saying, "Okay, we can add these things to make that even better." That's how I. That's where I shine. Yeah. It's not. It's not in design because if I look at the designs that I've done over the over the the years, they're okay. They're, you know, I mean, some of them are okay. Some are. Some of them aren't are weak. But I'm not one of those guys that does. Uh, like I see people that will do five, six, seven, eight uh, quick sketches for a client, and, and you know they pick the one they want. Right. And that—that's not. I don't work like that. I'll, and, I'll and,
1: do, and most of those you could frame and put on the wall.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I can't, I, don't,
1: I, I, yeah. I don't have the that ability yeah. either to yeah. just yeah. sketch yeah. it out on the fly. That, that yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I'll do one. I'll do one layout for somebody, and send it to them and see how that flies. Mm-hmm and then maybe tweak it at that point. But it, so that's not, my, that's not my big thing. Um, but uh, I like to take things that already exist that people have and make them you know, at least the same. Or, and that's part of sign painting too, you know, is that, that you, a lot of times, you're not given the ability to change anything. This is the logo. I mean, imagine trying to have Coca-Cola get a hold of you and go, oh, you know, I could really make this look a lot better mm-hmm. if I, but you're not allowed to do that. So right. you're within some constraint, you know, that's what you paint and, and you do a good job at that. And, and it looks tight because you know how to, you know, use the tools. So,
1: Well, you, uh, the, the few chances I've had to be able to see you actually work, I, it's pretty amazing.
2: Mm, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah.
1: So let let's talk music. What uh, if, if you're working in your studio today? What are you listening to? Uh,
2: <laughs> I actually started when we were when you were conceiving this whole thing. I'm gonna. I, I should have been more prepared here. Yeah, I preparation.
1: Had, I, it has no place.
2: Uh, I actually had uh, because I'm kind of a neophyte with music. Mm-hmm. I, I really have to admit I don't really. Uh, I don't really um, have a big list. I have my iTunes that is loaded with um, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, so I just turn it on, and I let it run.
1: So like, and, like like what, give us an example of, of what okay. cool stuff is.
2: Well, let me just uh, see if I have, because I started this, you guys, I, after listening to all these different interviews, I was like, oh man, I gotta start putting my list together of. Uh, all the cool stuff I listen to so I can look cool. I can okay. sound cool like all the rest of you guys. But uh, so I have, been a, I have always been a neophyte with music. I, I am really lazy about it. So what I has been really actually cool with all these young people coming down to the studio and hanging out, one thing I require... Couple things I require is they turn off their cell phones,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the other one is that they download their music onto my um, iTunes. <laughs> and so you're so, building
1: a huge archive. That's awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it's been, that's been really cool. So, um, and I have uh, the other the other thing I don't do very well is I don't have good recall for names when when asked. So I'm going to have to look at my list here to see um, who I might uh, listen to. So, but let me go back to when I was really young, I think it was in, in high school, early in high school, my brother was a musician, and he loved the Beatles. I mean, that was like, they couldn't, it didn't get any better than that. And, um, but I uh, kind of rejected that, and I liked um, like Creedence Clearwater Revival, and I liked Jimi Hendrix, and I liked uh, John, John Mayall, and as soon as I could get, um, I think I had an eight track car stereo player that I had somehow hooked up to play in my room. I had, I had three cassettes. I had John Mayall, Room to Move. Um, I had Jimi Hendrix Experience. Jimi Hendrix, yeah, the Jimi Hendrix Experience. And I had uh, um, one other ta- tape. And then when I finally got a friends that had a car, we would always play those mm-hmm. those same ones. We would always play, before we would go surfing, in the morning we'd want to get all jacked up, because we didn't have Red Bull back then. We would play um, uh, John Ma- John Mayall, Room to Move. Get all, and that was like an amazing, amazing uh, song. Uh, I remember be, in high school, we had audio-visual class where we would be the guys that would run the projectors and things like that, and we had, there was three albums in there, and one was uh, uh, Cat Stevens' hmm. T for the Tillerman, and uh, and uh, I can't remember the other guy. We'd play those records till we wore them out. So yeah. we didn't, didn't really have a huge scope. Uh, never liked uh, never liked heavy metal, um, and I'm not super crazy about rap, but once in a while I like um, like was it Black Eyed Peas? Hmm. I like them. Um, I a couple things I really like is uh, my wife plays the accordion, so I've gotten into accordion music. And uh, one of those guys is uh, Alejandro Escovito. Yep.
1: He's a Texas it, guy, ain't he?
2: Well, I think he was. I think he's passed away, hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, I like... Um, um, Ry Cooter is one of my favorite guys. Yeah. And through him... I've learned uh, uh, Ali Fakar, who's uh, passed away. He's a um, is it Egyptian or Ethiopian or
3: hmm.
2: some some uh, African guy? Really, I love that guy. Uh, Almond, I'm looking at my list here because I can't remember. Um, Almond Brothers, anything by the Almond Brothers, Arcade Fire, uh, the Ebbett Brothers mm-hmm. are amazing yeah. people. Um, and um let me go down here see i like now i got my list i don't have to remember anybody um bob dylan early bob dylan is great um somebody gave me a bill withers album that i have on here that's totally cool um there's a another band there's a big trend i don't know if it's the way out where you're at but a lot of there's a lot of uh home concerts people have they'll, have a, they'll have, they have a nice house or something, they'll have a concert in their house. Oh, uh, yeah, they, they've been doing
1: yeah. that in Denton.
2: Yeah, so uh, we were, we go to we go to those. I used to have a lot of those here in my studio, which was pretty amazing, because the sound is phenomenal. Um, we had one group called the the Bill Hilly Band that was uh, really cool. Um, of course, Bob Marley is great. Bonnie Raitt. Uh, Brian Eno, I'm a... Uh, I've been a fan of Brian Eno's for for decades
1: yeah uh, that's, that's some cerebral stuff right there
2: it is and I actually was into um, uh, when art happenings were, were big when I was in uh, college we actually had an art happening in my studio that um, we had a Brian Eno song playing on a loop that went on for hours and hours and that was um, that was pretty cool um and uh, you know the c- typical classic Bruce Springsteen and um, the Commitments are, were good in the movie The Commitments I think that was where the soundtrack that was a, that's a, a great album So you've that's got on. pretty
1: diverse tastes
2: I, Well I do but it isn't necessarily from me it's from all these other people that put stuff on my, my uh, again on my iTunes uh, one guy that I, I have actually met in person and followed for years is Dave Alvin. Uh-huh. He's a LA, local LA yeah. singer-songwriter. He's mind-boggling. The guy's seeing him in concert's just a thing of beauty. Um of course uh X is uh always great. Yeah uh, they they they
1: were uh they were a staple when I was a teenager.
2: Yep, yep. And um I got the Dixie Chicks here which is Pretty groovy. There's one song, uh, "Traveling Soldier," mm-hmm. that's a, that's a heartbreaker to listen to, but that's really cool. And I have I admire them because of that whole thing that went down with uh, with um, her making that speech about the war and and all that. That was a pretty uh sad event. But uh, Elvis Costello is a big, always a hero, and Lou Harris and Uh, Who else could I think of? Some obscure. uh, Hot Club of San Diego. I really love anything that's uh, gypsy jazz.
1: Yeah, I do too. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's everything from uh, Django, even to the. um, Oh, what is that group? There's a group out of San Francisco that kind of just kept running with that whole Django vibe. It's just awesome. I, I, I listen to them on Pandora sometimes.
2: There's a group in San Francisco that used to be called the Clubfoot Orchestra hmm. that, was, that was pretty amazing to, to listen to. Um, I can't find that the one guy that is a uh, gypsy jazz accordionist, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, uh, let's see, and um, there, growing up, there were a lot of uh, surf movies that we had
3: mm-hmm.
2: that would come through. And some of those songs uh from uh, almost famous i don't know if you if you ever saw that movie years ago yeah yeah there's a there's a few songs in that movie that are from the surf culture surf movies that when they come on my radio it's like oh my god i can't it was like
1: transports you, t- you in time
2: <laughs> right back yeah right back into right back you know 50 years ago so that was pretty cool um, so yeah, I have a pretty eclectic thing, and then I, with these kids, I get this song like this this uh these uh rave, not rave but what those dance gigs that they have where they everybody takes ecstasy and they dance all night, whatever those are called I think that's a rave I don't know a rave. I, I'm not or whatever it is. tuned in. I'll get those on uh, I'll get those on my thing and I'm like, oh man what the heck? what is that you know mm-hmm. so I'll listen, listen to those things for a while and a little bit of rap comes on once in a while. And, so yeah, it's pretty it's pretty varied.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I have a, a guilty uh, pleasure with the Beastie Boys. On rare occasion, I'll put them on here in the studio.
2: I, you know That's I know who they the are. That's about
1: the only rap I like.
2: Yeah, I know I know who they are, but I uh, I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you a song a single song. So um, I'm, I'm just looking through these other th- things here yeah there's so many songs there's so many people oh miles davis somebody put a miles davis um album on my uh couple of them on my thing and that's amazing
1: yeah i've got i've got a huge jazz collection on my yeah uh, itunes yeah this is uh
2: dingo Uh
3: uh-huh
2: it was some it was oh what is the guy's name uh uh mitch michael legrand Mm -hmm. and miles davis amazing album and it's from a, it's from a movie I don't yeah, know what yeah yeah so I've never seen the movie but that he's awesome. Um, so yeah I've got a bunch of different stuff and, and they'll be, they'll a lot of times I won't even put music on all day yeah I just I just don't I don't I don't know Some days I put it on it was funny the other day I put it on and I was painting this uh, MDO sign and I could hear the brush you know one of my favorite things is to be able to hear it. Have it be quiet enough where you can hear the brush moving on the on the background, uh-huh. and the, the song was perfect and the the sound was all perfect. I was like, you know, this is this is really fun to do this yeah. for a living. So yeah. it the all worst kinda, things
1: you could be doing with your time. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, um, but uh, yeah, some days I don't. I used to put uh, NPR on Morning Edition on. Yeah, and that guy just kind of got depressed with all the bad news. Yeah, and so I, I don't do that. I don't do that anymore, so but uh yeah well hey
1: man i I really appreciate you uh taking the time to do this. you got um, it, absolutely, that's you got awesome. it some yeah. um yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll make my way out there at some point, um okay, I just need to uh get off my butt and do it
2: yeah, well, I've got a trailer so you'll feel right at home there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: we're all hippies at heart, right? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and I just want to let you, got you and uh, Norma Jean, know that uh, we have a, we have future plans to uh, open up a uh, a uh, what is it called? Um, it's going to be a uh, series of gold leaf glass sign shops all over the country, and our first um, targets is every old town in texas
1: well bring it
2: yeah hey, I, I
1: what what happened i thought you were going to buy a building on main street and let me move in
2: i got too much i got too much <laughs> I, I got if you had surf that's the problem you know that's the biggest bummer and yeah, we got do.
1: lake texoma and the red rivers just right here you could you could get a little inner tube i mean it's yeah. the same stuff
2: no it's not the same that's <laughs> my the biggest one of the biggest uh uh, regrets I have always had is traveling around the country, all these amazing little towns that I could move into and buy these amazing buildings for cheap and live there and be cool. But then I surf, yeah. And so, so that's the one thing that ties me to where I'm at. Um, and I, you know, I, I want to be able to make a living. So, uh, but yeah, God, that Norma Jean's town where she's in now, man. God, there was some. All those little towns have such great old buildings.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's. I think we're going to see a migration, especially of creative people, of, over the next maybe five yeah. years, especially in this part of the country, to the small towns, because they're, they're every. It, it's that whole scenario where they take this part of, of a big city that's all run down, and it's cheap enough to go work and create art. Right. But then it becomes hip, and now all of a sudden there's no way you could afford to function there. And so people jump around within the city. But, you know, I think that there's I, – and I think that's where the Internet has um, provided something uniquely new is you can go like what we've done. We've, we've moved to a very small, isolated place um, in 10 years ago's context – Right. We would be yeah. very isolated, but we're still able right. to maintain all of right. our business relationships and do stuff like this show and everything yeah. else, and yet right, right. still live in a, a really slower-paced town. And right. we're in this fabulous train station that, if right. we were in Dallas, this, I, you know, I couldn't even dream of renting something like this. It would right. cost so much money.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hope that, I hope I don't embarrass you with this statement, but. I think that your question is why I didn't buy a building in Denton is you didn't put out enough uh, emotional effort to say, <laughs> hell yeah, let's do it, man. I'm, I probably should have. <laughs> uh, let, let me sign the lease. And, and, I, and I tell anybody that, uh, see, my one thing I've, I, I feel like one big success I've had is I've always had the mentality that I was going to buy whatever I was in. Didn't, uh-huh. Very rarely did I ever rent. And so, I see those things as like big money making opportunities besides my sign craft. And that's, that's the thing that differentiates me from a lot of people. It, and I see the people that are like me that aren't successful that if you can do that and you can have that mentality, and it's a mentality. You have to have the mindset to be able to go in and say, you know, not only do I need a place to, to work, and live, but I also want to own it and make money on it. And so, with all those little towns, that's, that is a huge uh, draw for me. Yeah. And so I would tell anyone, and I'm actually working with a young guy in uh, San Francisco, Andrew Lawrence. Okay, who
1: yeah, is, I know him.
2: Yeah. So he's from Chicago. So I'm telling him, listen, Andrew, it's great. You're young. You're living in San Francisco. You're living the living the dream. But at some point. I think that you need to go back to wherever you came from, which is the Chicago area. Find a little town and buy your own building. Yeah. Because because in 30 years you're gonna in 30 years you're gonna be retired. You're gonna own the building. You're gonna have, be rent free. You're gonna have a couple tenants and you're gonna be making money on them. Then you do whatever you want. So look at the bigger picture down the road and and uh, so that's you
1: know it's yeah. wise advice it's just yeah. uh for someone like me i'm I'm not functional enough to stick to that plan
2: well you guys you it's, you you and norma crack me up because uh you guys have moved in uh, so many times I've been in the same spot for twenty years you guys have moved
1: uh definitely nomadic gypsy mentality yeah. you know yeah. for sure
2: yeah and that that gets you that i mean that's fun i the place that the train station you're in is amazing i mean but imagine finding one of those out in the middle of nowhere that you could buy for fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars go in with a couple people then all of a sudden man it's your train station you know you can have the train pull up anytime you want
1: that that sounds like death to me but i get i get that that's the smart move
2: yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a certain mindset, Yeah. you know, and whatever makes you, the bottom line is whatever makes you happy, that's the most important thing isn't yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: And I, and that, yeah. I think I've finally yeah. got enough yeah. years on me that I've identified that for me, it's the, it's the experiences that keep me going.
3: Right. And, yeah.
1: um, right. I think that's why I've I've moved throughout my whole life, you know, yeah. well, periodically I is because it's yeah. it's you're taking on a whole new set of experiences by doing right. it.
2: Right. Well, I was very nomadic from from as soon as I got out of high school till twenty six. Very nomadic. Didn't uh-huh. did, didn't really stay anywhere for longer than about six six months. Okay. Literally, that with moving that much, but once I kind of. Had a little ground and figured it out, and and then I started. Then it went into a year, then went into two years, and then you know five years, and ten and twenty. Now I'm at now I'm at twenty two years in the same spot. Yeah. So I was very I I'm in the, I was in the same boat, but I saw early on that the way to financial uh, freedom was to own something, and have rent and have some rent coming in, have somebody else pay your Pay your bills for you. Well, we own our
1: Airstream, so we just need to like rent a tent to somebody so we can offset it.
2: Yeah, or find a piece of property and, and make a make a trailer park.
1: <laughs> yes. Watch it. I, I, I see the snideness in your face. Yeah. Watch yourself.
2: No, I'm i you know, i I'm, I'm only trying to, you know, be helpful here. So. <laughs> but whatever you can't, you know, whatever you know, gypsies are gypsies. They can't Yeah. They can't they can't live in one spot too my, long. My
1: parents were the same way. It's how yeah. I grew up. I yeah. don't I don't think yeah. I can approach yeah. life in any other way really.
2: Yeah. I I I can relate to that.
1: So cool, man. All right, dude. Well, thanks a lot. Um, it was okay. Really awesome talking to you again. And
2: yeah, you got it. You got yeah.
1: it. We'll talk again. Cool. We'll talk soon. Okay. Cool. Okay, man. See you, man. Okay, there we go. Roderick Trees. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the on the show, Roderick. Uh, it's always nice to talk to you and get caught up and get your perspective on things. And uh, I'm glad we were able to do this today um so to all of you out there listening thanks for tuning in yet again uh the audience keeps growing and um uh it's a nice thing i I think it's uh it's an encouraging thing to see this many people getting uh enthused and interested in the craft and uh working to learn about it and learn about some of these people like roderick who've been doing a long time and so thanks for tuning in. I uh, also want to thank our sponsor, Full City Rooster Coffee, and uh, thank them for putting together the Sign Painters Blend, uh, which you can get on their website at fullcityrooster.com. Uh, if you haven't tried it yet, give it a shot. Lots of people are giving us good feedback that they really enjoy it, and uh, I drink it every day here in the studio, so can't be half bad. All right, well, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and... Uh, Talk to you guys soon.
0: Today's episode of Coffee with a Sign Painter is brought to you by Full City Rooster Coffee Roasters in Dallas, Texas. Roasting distinctive coffees from around the world. Sean drinks Full City Rooster Coffee every day in the studio. You can order their coffee online at fullcityrooster.com. coffee with a sign painter hosted by sean star you can find all sorts of info about the show and sign painting including previous episodes at our website (laughs) seanstar.com